Well, hi everyone, and welcome to today's message. Welcome to Zion. My name's Phil Strong, and uh, once again, I'm just I really enjoy this opportunity uh, to beam myself uh, across the interweb into your place, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching. Um, my heart's desire in preparing these thoughts is that God would speak to you, and it's no different today. So, welcome to Zion. Welcome to our series called Temple and Table. Uh, and today, my aim is to unpack a little bit about what that means, to remind you of the journey we're on in Zion around Temple and Table. And I also want to maybe contrast why a single framework, a single mindset, or a single style of worship doesn't work. Uh, and then I've got uh, three thoughts I want to share with you about worshiping at the temple. So today's message is at the temple. Uh, and next week's message, Phil Brown is sharing some thoughts around at the table. And I've had a glimpse, I've had a pre-taste of what Phil's going to share with you next week. And it's really good. He's got some challenging thoughts. So watch out for that on the YouTube channel uh, in the coming week. Today, I want to talk to you about being at the temple in the context of temple and table. What do we mean by temple and table? This is just two ways to look at how we should worship together, how we should do our faith journey together. Uh, the idea is that we would come together to worship, to praise and to glorify God in the temple, in God's house, that it's a corporate gathering, that it's a public worship service, that there's an opportunity to invite people into the presence of God as we, we lift up holy hands and as we worship Him, as we glorify Him together in the building that we call church. Temple is about gathering together corporately, whereas table is more intimate. Table is the opportunity to come together around the table, to have fellowship, to have food, to have prayer, to have Bible study, to, to do life with each other. And look, you can do that in a formal setting around a table. You can do it in an informal setting and maybe in a park under a tree or, uh, dare I say it, even on the golf course, on a boat fishing, uh, while you're riding your bike. Uh, maybe you could do it at the playground with the kids. But the point is this. We gather for worship, whether it's at the temple or at the table, with Jesus in our midst. And, and let's not miss that key point because you can gather with your friends on the golf course. You can gather with uh, family at the park. But if you don't invite Jesus to be in the midst, if you don't make Jesus the reason that you're gathering, then it's not really church. It's just a catch up. And catch-ups are important, but what I'm specifically speaking about with Temple and Table is those moments we gather together corporately and those moments that we gather together intimately where we have Jesus at the center of our focus. One of the key phrases that uh, I'd like to use with regards to uh, perhaps stretching the paradigms we have around church is the introduction of what I'm referring to as a hybrid model. A hybrid model is both and. I, I think uh, there's a disadvantage where we have church just as one style, one framework, and we, we push down that avenue exclusively. Uh, so hybrid is both and. And what I'm proposing to you is that we worship in the temple and we worship at the table. That we have the blend of those two in our lives because we will gain benefit from both. 
Today, I'm gonna talk to you about the temple and really push the envelope on what it's not and what it should be. Uh, And I hope you you get a lot out of that today. And I'm I'm gonna finish uh, by putting it back into your court. I'm gonna bounce the ball to you and then you can decide what you do with it. Uh, But this hybrid idea is the journey that we have where we do church both and, at the temple and at the table. So what I want to do is unpack that today, and I'm really excited that you're coming on the journey with us. So one of the questions I've asked myself is, why doesn't it work just to have one style of church? Well, in the past, in history and tradition, and I don't know what your exposure to church has been in your life, but if you think about going to church then you're probably thinking about a meeting where you come into a building and you sit in a row of seats. And uh, as my friend Chris says, you know, you possibly spend 90 minutes looking at the back of the head of the person in front of you. It's not engaging as much as it could be, and it's it's more of a performance-style service, and, and there's very few people that do most of the work, and uh, there's a risk in that. And if that's the only experience that people have of church, uh, then I think there's a fall down in that. And I want to speak to that shortly. But exclusively uh, meeting in the temple could also be contrasted with it exclusively meeting at the table. And there are proponents of, of house church, that that's what it's all about. And we need to push away the meetings in the building and we need to just gather in the home. And, and the problem is if you do that exclusively, then you miss the revelation or the, the truth that's in Scripture is that we're each part of a larger fabric, that there's a greater mission for the body of Christ than just being together in a small group, in a small context. And, and Phil's going to speak to that really effectively in the next message at the table, and I urge you to to watch out for that. Perhaps find it online and put a reminder to make sure that you're alerted when that message becomes available. So doing life exclusively around a table is 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 good for a season, or it's good uh, when a mandate requires it. But it's not the design that Jesus has got for us as the church. And I want to want to talk about that today. And thinking about uh, being at the temple and being at the table, uh, the elders of our church have wrestled with this for, for most of 2021. Uh, we've been looking forward to and thinking about a hybrid model of church for quite a while. Uh, and we've tested this idea of connect groups. And we've spoken with people about connect groups and we've tried to help connect groups to form. And I've got to say, as the leader of the church, that um, I feel like we, we haven't succeeded We have a strategic intent and objective that we would like 75% of our church community, our family, to be engaged in a regular connect group. And and we haven't haven't achieved that. I think we're just under 50%. And uh, we did a survey and we reached out and we talked to people and we said, uh, would you be interested in a connect group? What is it about a connect group that you might like? These connect groups are essentially gathering around the table. And the feedback we had was, I already have people I connect with. It doesn't suit my schedule to have a midweek gathering. I'm not comfortable with meeting with others in an intimate space. I don't think I have anything to offer or no thanks. 
and, and so we've been processing this feedback and I'm bouncing this feedback back to you uh, because I'd like you to filter it through where you're sitting at the moment, uh, what your paradigms are, uh, and perhaps challenge each of us to push aside some of those priorities that make us busy, where we can't make time for it, to push aside some of the mindsets where we think perhaps we're not ready for an intimate gathering. And perhaps we could look to embrace what Phil's going to share next week about the importance of gathering together in an intimate way. For when we gather together in an intimate way, we get intimate benefits. And I don't mean that in the wrong sense, I mean it in a healthy, pure sense of each one of us ministering to each other as part of the body of Christ. So perhaps uh, my takeaway for you to have uh, with regards to temple and table is to think about how you're going to gather at the table with others. And uh, I'll leave you to think about that and I'll leave Phil to speak about it next week. Before I speak about the temple, uh, I just have a little bit of a warning and and, uh, perhaps a thought to share with you because... um, One of the risks we have in church at the moment, especially with the mandates and the lockdowns and people doing life independently, uh, because we've had to, uh, but it's forced people into isolation. And and I really want to speak against that because it's dangerous. Let me perhaps just give you this thought. There was only one of the 12 disciples of Jesus who chose to walk alone. His name was Judas, and it didn't go well for him. So I'll leave that thought with you. There is danger in walking alone. There's danger in not being connected to others. There's danger in not being accountable and submitted to others. And there's danger in not walking in a healthy community with other believers. So let's not make that us. Let's, let's choose to be ones that engage. Let's choose to be active in the body of Christ and participating and what we call church family, which is what I want to speak about today. So in today's message, I want to speak to you about three thoughts with regards to church and uh, being in the temple. And uh, so what I want you to do is to think about what I'm about to share with you in the context of a corporate gathering. So we've got the temple, we've got the table, we've got a hybrid model, and we're doing both and. But today, what I want you to do is to listen to what I'm sharing with you in the context of a corporate gathering. And I want to share with you three thoughts. I want to say to you that church is not just a noun, and we'll get into that. I want to share with you that church is not just a verb, and we'll get into that. And then I want to show you that church is so much more. And uh, we're going to look to the scriptures on that. So church is not just a noun. Church is not just a verb. Church is so much more. One of the dangers we have in our human language and our and our Western mindset is we tend to make everything an object. We put it in a box, we define it, and we say that's what that means for me, and uh, and we objectify uh, things. And so we've done that with church. Uh, you know, the church was birthed as the ecclesia uh, in, in the book of Acts, meaning an active, engaged body of people who had influence in their community. Uh, and we've turned it into a noun. We've said church is a place, it's a building. You know, let's go to the church and we go to the building on the corner with the, the cross on the roof. Or we say, let's go to church 
and we go to a meeting at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, um, or we say, I want to blame the church for, 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 my, for my circumstances, and we, we, we objectivize the church. We, we say it's an organization, it's a, it's a structure, it's a, it's a legal entity. And in doing so, we make the church a noun, and the risk is uh, that we miss the fruit of what, what Jesus has got for us in, in calling us together to be, uh, as the early church were known, as the ecclesia, the body of believers that had influence in their community. So, so church is a noun. Yes, you do go to a building. Yes, you do come to a meeting. But I would say to you in the first instance that it is not just a noun. And I, I, I really want to point you to uh, something that's a little bit horrible, to be honest. It's a little bit challenging. It's a little bit uncomfortable uh, in the words of Jesus to the church of his day. And as you will know, if you've read the, the narrative of the Gospels and looked at the way that Jesus interacted with the Jewish church that he was raised in, he was a little critical. He was very uh, uh, clear in, in differentiating between what he called hypocrisy and truth or authenticity. And he was bringing the message of the kingdom, uh, which is contrasted in some ways to the message of the church. And uh, as I was preparing this, I just, I just got led to the phrase that you'll find in Matthew chapter 23. And if you want to make yourself feel uncomfortable, uh, or you want to make sure that you're pure in heart, then read Matthew 23 in its entirety and see the words of Jesus to the, the scribes and the Pharisees who are the leaders of the church. And the phrase that I felt the Lord lead me to is found in Matthew chapter 23 and uh, verse 27. Matthew 23 verse 27 and 28. This passage of scripture is referred to as the, the seven woes of the church. And in seven times, Jesus says, Woe to you, O ye Pharisees. Woe to you, meaning, alas, watch out, be warned. And, and there's seven instances where Jesus really cuts them uh, to the heart with regards to their, um, the way they were operating, the way that they lived, the way that they thought and what they believed. And in fact, he was really condemning them as uh, not being of the kingdom of God and also in excluding others from the kingdom. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Oh man, woe is us should we be compared to those Pharisees. This was a slanderous, malicious criticism in the day of the Jewish people. And the words Jesus chose uh, were very pointed. Uh, you see, the Jews knew by law, by Mosaic law, that they were unclean if they came in contact with a dead person. And Jesus himself is saying, well, actually, you are that dead person. You're clean on the outside. You're whitewashed, meaning you look clean and pure on the outside. But if we open the door of your heart, what we find inside is decaying, rotting death. 
<laughs> could, could Jesus be any more blunt than that? And, and I, I'm sharing this because I believe the Lord is saying, look, you can call church a building. You can call church a meeting. Yes, church is a noun, but it's more than that. And for those of us that are intent on just the practice, uh, those of us that are intent on just coming to church on Sunday and then we tick the box and we say, I've done church and six days a week I can do what I like. Jesus would say, woe to you, you Pharisee, for you're a whitewashed tomb. And so I'm talking about church in the temple, but it's more than just a meeting. Yes, I want you coming to the temple. Yes, I want you coming to join us in corporate worship. That's the fruit of your life, but, but Jesus is concerned about your heart. What's your motive in doing that? And, and, and I really hear the Lord warning us to the purity of our heart in worshipping Him when we come together. We're not about just ticking the boxes we, and, and planning our, our time together. And we're, we're very open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we have a run sheet. We have an order of service. We like to follow a plan. But we hold that plan really loosely in open hands. And we say, Lord, if your Spirit would lead us, we will follow. And we're open to prophetic ministry. And we're open to words of knowledge. We're open to healing happening in our midst. Woe to you, you Pharisees, that you would be found to be like a whitewashed tomb, righteous on the outside, but unclean and decaying on the inside. Just this week, I had lunch with a really good friend of mine, and uh, we have permission, given each other permission, to speak openly into each other's lives that we would um, we'd be really vulnerable. And I find those relationships life-giving, to be honest. Because uh, like Jesus, my friend just doesn't hold any punches back. He's man, if he sees something, he's going to go for it. We spoke about, um, about church and we spoke about people who, who uh, live on the fringe of the community and, and are really observers. And uh, we spoke about those that are consumers. And he was challenging me uh, as a leader of a church not to be passive, not to step back and not to confront those that are uh, engaging in church just as observers. And uh, as we discussed it around our lunch table together, funnily enough, that's what church is, having a meal together with Jesus in the conversation. But as we discussed it, we, we observed that the risk is when people come to church to be an observer, they do church, they, they, they come to the building. Um, the risk is that they become uh, passive and they, they operate as a consumer. So what did I get out of church today? And you, you'll hear comments of people say, oh, well, the worship was okay, or I didn't enjoy that message, or what was so-and-so thinking when they said those words, or when, when, when that person got up and spoke, I didn't really like what they said, or um, I, I felt good today about church. These are, are the words of a consumer. Uh, someone that has come just to consume and not to contribute. Uh, and look, there are times and there are days when that's relevant for all of us. But the risk is if we settle into that pattern because church is a noun, it's something, it's a building we go to, then if we become a consumer, then the downward slide that I've seen is that person will then become a critic. And uh, that's a dangerous place because if you become a critic, there's a huge risk you're going to become bitter. You'll get offended about something because you're critical and you then become bitter. And a bitter person is someone who divides. 
Uh, it's like a, a poison that separates life and death. Uh, it's, it's, it's dangerous in a church. And I'm, I'm calling it for what it is because it's, it's, it's a risk to the life that Jesus wants to build inside of the church, which is his body and his bride that's being prepared for his coming. So let's not just think of church as a noun. It's far more than a noun. Alrighty, so we've just had a look at the first thought that church is not just a noun, a place or a building uh, or a meeting. Uh, And now the second thing I want to do is I want to take you to the thought that church is not just a verb. And remember, the context of this conversation is a corporate gathering at the temple. So let's think about this. Now, for those of us that were present and attentive at primary school, where we're going to remember that a verb is an action word, it's a doing word. So church is not just a verb. It's something that we do. It's a practice. It's an action. It's about doing church, doing life together, living out our faith. But it's more than that. And I want you to see that in the encounter that the disciples had with Jesus. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24, and this is after the resurrection. Jesus has appeared to Mary and uh, the ladies in the morning. He has appeared to the disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. And then we read that suddenly he appears in their midst in the room. The the parallel uh, telling of the story is found in John chapter 20. And John gives us a, a couple of things that Luke doesn't. And he says they were afraid. The disciples were hiding in the upper room because they were afraid. And, and I'm guessing they were afraid for their lives. They just witnessed Jesus, whom they believed to be the Son of God, was arrested and killed by the, by the Pharisees and the Romans. And I guess they thought the same was going to happen to them. So they're hiding in the upper room. And it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 36, Now Jesus himself suddenly stood in their midst. And he said to them, Peace be with you. And they were afraid because they thought he was a spirit or a ghost or something. And he's like, guys, I'm not a ghost. Look, you can touch me. And you can see the, the holes in my hands, the nail holes in my hands. And he ate some, some fish. And then as you, you look further, he says, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And I love this verse, verse 45 of Luke chapter 24. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he says in verse 48, And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power on high. This is the first telling of the uh, promise that Jesus has here. He says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, which was a small village on the side of the Mount of Olives, just a couple of miles outside Jerusalem. And he lifted up his hands, Jesus did, and he blessed his disciples. And when he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. I just want to make some observations about this passage that would, would uh, bind us into the truth of Jesus and how he's, he's prepared us to live. 
What I love about this story is that the disciples were together and when they were together, they had an encounter with Jesus. Suddenly Jesus was in their midst. In their case, it was in physical form. But what I love about being together in a corporate gathering is when the presence of Jesus by his Holy Spirit comes in our midst. And I was speaking to someone recently who had just started coming to our church and they said to me, I just feel God's presence when I'm in this building with you guys. And I love that that we would be marked by an encounter that we have with Jesus. As Jesus breathed on them, as he gave them peace, the gift of peace, as he gave them the, the gift of the presence of the Holy Spirit, they received faith. Thomas doubted. He said, Lord, I won't believe unless I touch the nail holes in your hand and in your side. And, and the gift Jesus gave them was faith. Faith. When we come together, we receive faith together. It says that Jesus opened up their minds and, and, and they, they understood, they comprehended the scriptures that Jesus showed them. And when we come together, we get this, this opening of our mind that leads us to a place of revelation. I, mean, I, mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like moving forward unless I have a revelation. One of the gifts Jesus gives us when we come together is that we get this revelation. And then Jesus says this, he says, tarry here in Jerusalem until you receive the power endued from on high. And we know because we've read the the story in in Acts chapter 2 is that when they did tarry, when they did wait, the Holy Spirit came as promised. So one, we get a promise. Two, (laughs) we will get the power. But Jesus, uh, in, in this this version, uh, he says, "You, you, you will share the testimony across Jerusalem. But the the same story retold later on by uh, Luke, he says, And you will go to Jerusalem and unto Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the great commission. And and I've I've written this down in my notes as the co-mission. It's the mission we do with Jesus. We're not called to work in isolation, but we're called to work in partnership. One of my friends teaches uh, that we are co-laborers with Christ, meaning that we work in partnership with his power and, and, and we walk it out in our world. So when we come together, we're, we're co-missioned. We're uh, combined together in the mission of Christ. And that's one of the benefits we see in this story. Finally, what I love, what I love is this last verse, uh, verse 52 and 53, the last two verses here. And they worshipped him. So we worship Jesus. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Um, come on, you know, we need joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. What does that say to me? They were devoted to public worship. They were devoted to public worship. And that's what happens when we come together in a public space called a church building or a public space called a park in the community or a public space that's a school hall. The corporate gathering is a public space. And the disciples, as a result of their encounter with Jesus, were devoted to coming together for public worship. And I find that fascinating that they would come together to worship Jesus. So as I'm saying to you, church is more than just a verb. It's about the encounter and the revelation and the commission that we have. But I want to speak about the flip side, the tension, because I want to warn you, 
to avoid the, uh, the tension on the opposite side of that. Because when we speak about church as doing, we need to do church, um, the risk is that we fall into the trap that the devil has laid for us. Because the enemy of our soul would like us to be pushed beyond grace and into performance. And, and my phrase that I use for this is the tension of an orphan spirit. And uh, I take that phrase out of Romans chapter 8. But what I mean by that is an orphan is one who has been conditioned in their heart to believe that they must perform to earn love and acceptance. We know that we are not saved by our works, but we are saved by grace. That's Ephesians chapter 2. But we also understand that the risk is we fall into a trap that if we don't do things the right way, then God won't love us. And this is what I call the orphan spirit. An orphan that is not connected to God as their father. Now Paul warns the church about this and he writes to the church in Galatia. He warns them and look, if it's in the Bible and it's to the church, then it's a warning to us. So I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. Just the first three verses, and, and this, I love Paul, man. He, like Jesus, dude doesn't pull no punches. And he's like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, you are now being made perfect by the flesh. This is a warning for us that church is not just a verb. It's not just about doing. It's about becoming the church. It's more than a verb. So I want to highlight what we do when we come together because church is about being together for an encounter and a revelation and, and, and worshiping Jesus. But we want to avoid the tension that we would slip into performance-based faith where if we don't do it, we're not loved and we're not accepted. And that's the risk. So yes, let's engage together in worship. But no, let's not fall into the trap that's laid before us. So as I've said to you, a church is more than a noun. Church is more than a verb. Now I want to show you it's so much more. Well, the third and final thought I want to share with you is that church is more than. And uh, so I would say to you, church is not just a noun, church is not just a verb, but church is the essence of who we are. Paul writes to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that if anyone is in Christ, then he is a new creation. There's been a new rebirth. There's, a, there's, a, there's an entirely new essence in who we are. There's the, the Holy Spirit gives life, eternal life, to those that receive Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. So church is not about go. It's more than that. Church is not about do. It's more than that. Yes, we should go. Yes, we should do. But we should be the church. The essence, the, the, inner, the inner nature of us is recreated with the Spirit of God. It can't be separated from who we are. You, there's no way you can separate your flesh from your soul or your spirit. God can, but you can't. So in the same way, we can't separate who we are reborn to be, the essence of who we are. 
So let's not just go to church. Let's not just do church when we're together, but let's be the church. And oh my goodness, the scripture is just so alive with revelation on this. Um, For those of you that love to read and follow up what I'm sharing, I just urge you to spend time this summer in the first five chapters of the book of Acts. And as you do, wait on the Lord and meditate on the scripture and read it backwards, read it forwards, read it in different translations. And I know that God is going to reveal things to you. There's so much more than I have time to share today. But as I was praying, I was really asking the Lord to lead me to a passage of scripture that would be the the meat for this part of the the message. And he took me to Acts chapter 4. And I've got to admit, it took me a while to work out why. Uh, and, um, And I'll get to that in a second. But I want to just back the truck up because if you're going to talk about Acts chapter 4, you have to talk about Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, it says Peter and John were going to the temple, which was their daily ritual. They went to the temple to praise God and to bless the name of God. There's a lesson for us in that. On the way, that there was a guy that reaches out, a beggar, and he says, Hey, help me. And Peter says, Look, gold and silver I do not have, but what I have I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And this man who had been lame stood up by the power of God and was healed instantly, miraculously. He gives testimony to God and he gives praise to God and he runs around like a madman uh, in, in exuberant joy and, and causes a ruckus, causes a crowd to come. And Peter takes the opportunity to preach the message of Jesus, the gospel, the hope that's found in Christ and Christ alone. And, the, and there's this flocking of people and it's a stirring and and the church leaders, the whitewashed tombs, uh, they're upset about that. And so they, uh, so they take Peter and John before the court and they decide that because it's late in the day that they're going to arrest them. They put them in overnight and uh, they have this kind of like mini hearing. And I love Peter's words in Acts chapter 4. He's like, look, would it be right to obey you or to obey God? I mean, like, we know what we're going to do. And they give them a whipping and they send them on their way. And this is where I want to land. So we've got this, this way that Peter and John are living their lives. It's who they are. They're being rebirthed and recreated. And they can't just help giving the life of Jesus to others. It's a good lesson for us. But it's not the main passage I want to point to. We get to uh, the bit in Acts chapter 4 where they turn up home again to the other believers who were devoted to being together. And in Acts chapter 4, we're going to read this here. And being let go, so this is verse 23 of Acts chapter 4. Being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And they said, we're not going to do it. When they, this is the church, when the church heard the testimony, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did nations rage and the people plot vain things and kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ? For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Man, I need to stop there, but I want you to keep reading. 
keep reading on and see how they lived together and engaged in this life of faith because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But I just want to make some observations about this. You know, they come together, and, and I'm, 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 I'm hoping I catch why the Lord led me to Acts chapter 4, but I'm also asking you to search God's heart, see what he would say to you from that passage. But they come together to hear the testimony of what God was doing. Peter and John came and shared the testimony of the healing of the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. They came and shared the testimony of the, the opportunity filled by the Holy Spirit that Peter was preaching the word of God again in the courts in the temple of Solomon outside the holy place. They shared the testimony of God speaking through them and they even had the chance to testify to the name of Jesus Christ before the Pharisees and the scribes. They gave a testimony. They came together to hear the testimony. It's who we are. We carry the testimony of Jesus in us. When we're together, we need to share that testimony. It says they, when they heard that message, they raised their voices to God. We've got to come together to praise God because it's who we're made to be. We can't help but praise God. We can't help but lift up holy hands and worship God for who he is. Not just for what he's done. But who he is, for he is the Lord and he is worthy of all praise. When we come together, we just need to center our attention on him and who he is. It says, Luke writes this, that they were with one accord. They praise God in one voice. And as I was studying this, um, I discovered that it was, it's called Luke's favorite phrase. In fact, in the book of Acts, he uses this phrase 11 times. He speaks about the, the believers, the church people, the ecclesia being of one accord. And it means of being unified heart, unified mind. It means coming together, praising God together, declaring God together and living together in one accord and one mind, one purpose. Such a beautiful picture of the church. I don't have time to unpack that now, but uh, some of you will. And uh, go and study, do a word study on, uh, on what it means and what does it look like? What's the demonstration of it? And that might help you with the assignment that I've got for you shortly. They also lifted up the name of God. And I just want to point to this because it, it was something that I learned. And they, they said uh, uh, in verse 24, they in one accord and said, Lord, you are God. And, and unfortunately, the translation to English there doesn't do it justice. Because they're not using the word Yahweh or Adonai or any of those commonly used words that might be translated into English. They're using this word despotes, which is a Greek word which means sovereign ruler of all things. And uh, I don't need to make a big point of it, but I would say this. When we put God in his rightful place, we will find ourselves in our rightful place. When we establish his lordship and his rulership in our midst, we find the place that we deserve. He, we can't be sons without a father. Come on, let's worship God for who he is when we come together. Let's lift up our hands in one voice and one accord and praise him for he's worthy of all play, praise. So those are just some short thoughts that I had when I looked at Acts chapter 4 in that passage. And, and I encourage you to, to dig into it over the next couple of weeks and see what you find. Because truly, the Lord would say to his people, come, feast on my word and discover that church is not about just going somewhere. Church is not just about what we do, but church is about being the new creation. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. Surely the essence of who we are is the church. That God would reveal that at the temple when we come together, we are who he has made us to be. 
As I bring this message to a close, I've got two things that I'd like to bounce over to your side of the table, if you don't mind. Uh, and the first one is an assignment, and I've got a question for you that I'd really love you to ponder and meditate, uh, to take to the Lord in prayer, and that you would wait on the Lord and see what he says to you about this. And I'm going to put this question up on the screen so that it's nice and clear for you. What are the conditions I can create that enable my being the church? What are the conditions I can create that enable my being the church? I'd really like you to take on board this assignment and have a conversation with the Lord about this. Lord, shine your light on my heart. Lord, shine your light on my mind and my thinking. Help me to change or let go of any paradigms that are limiting how I can engage in the essence of the worship service at the temple. Lord, what are the beliefs that I need to, to break down and let go of that are not helping me? Lord, shine your light on my calendar, on my schedule, my priorities. Is there anything in my life that detracts or takes away from my ability to enjoy the essence of being church and worshipping with the body of Christ? I, I believe that an encounter with Jesus leads to an opening of the mind and the heart that would bring the revelation of Jesus and so rather than me tell you what the revelation is or what my revelation is, I really feel like to land this and put the, as I say, bounce the ball back into your court and say, ask Jesus what he says. And I do believe that he'd speak to you. So I hope you enjoy that assignment. And finally, what I'd love to do is invite you to come and join us to worship at the temple on January the 23rd. We're going to be in the building so you can go to the building. We're going to do church together, so there's the verb as well. But it's about being the essence of church. We're going to lift up holy hands and worship God for who He is. We're going to build His throne through our praise and our adoration of God Almighty, Sovereign One over all the earth. We're going to share testimony that point to Jesus. We're going to open up the Scriptures and allow the Spirit of God to minister to us through the Word of God. We're going to pray and hope that the building shakes. We just read it. In Acts chapter 4, that the building would shake, that we would be filled with the Spirit of God and filled with the confidence, and the courage that's necessary for us to go and to give testimony to who Jesus is, for he is truly worthy of it. We're commissioned with Jesus to go into all the world and share his goodness. And that comes, my friends, when we gather at the temple together to worship together, not just to go, not just to do, but to be the church. So I pray that God richly blesses you as you go. May you know his peace. May you know his joy. May you know his presence. And may you access his revelation as you spend time with him. God bless you. And I look forward to seeing you soon. 